Good morning. Pastor Rob, welcome to our 1030 service. I'm seeing a little bit of this going on out there. Uh, that's, that, that's, the, that's the the universal sign for short sermon, right? I don't know. <laughs> and when it's on giving, you want to do it a lot, right? Yeah. So thank you for being here this morning. Welcome to all of those of you next door in the gym. It's a beautiful day. Uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Amen. Let's be grateful for it. Today in this message series, uh, in, in, uh, introduced by that video, not too busy to give. And what am I talking about? Be very... Uh, a direct in, uh, in this uh, warm tent, that I'm talking about giving a portion of your money, a portion of my money to the work of God, to the ministry of the gospel, as an expression of your commitment to be a follower of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. Now, for some of you, it's uh, what you're going to hear in the next you know, 20 minutes or so is, is just a reinforcement. It's like someone telling you, you know, eat your vegetables, and you go, I already did, and that's good. You need to re reinforce that thank you, as Pete said and, and Josh said, uh, for, the, for, the, for the faithfulness um, that many of you express week in and week out. But for others of you, it will be a challenge uh, to uh, take a deeper step in your discipleship and following Jesus. So, too busy not uh, to give is the, is the title of this message, and we're going to look at a parable in, in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a copy of the Bible, you can open up uh, to Luke chapter 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or you can turn on your phone to the Gospel of Luke and uh, follow along here as I read these 13 verses. This parable and a few comments from Jesus after the parable of Luke chapter 16. The Bible says these words, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that I, when I lose my job here, People will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Luke chapter 16. Now, let me say this. You've probably heard this before. You've been in church a while. Uh, or if you've read the Gospels, even the Gospels careful that Jesus talks about money a fair amount. In fact, if you read all the teachings of Jesus, read the Gospels, you know, from beginning to end, you discover that 15% of all of Jesus' teaching is about money. Now, why is that? Is it because God cares about money? Uh, I would say no. I don't think God cares a lot about money. 85% uh, of everything else he said had nothing to do with money, but he talks that much about money because he cares about you and he cares about me 
And he knows, and this is, you think it's just true in our day, it's always been true, this, this teaching's 2,000 years old, that uh, money has a lot of power over you and over me. That's why he talks so much about money. There is an anxiety about money, or the anxiety about money, I should say, is like a disease. And it's just as prevalent in people who have money, right, as it is in people who don't have money. But that said, Jesus is not anti-money. In fact, you'll see in this parable, but I think in, in others, Jesus, the Old Testament uh, teachings as well, talk very positively about money as a resource to do lasting good. That's my point in a nutshell. It's a resource to do lasting good. I'm asking you, what are you doing with yours? What am I doing with mine? Now, this is a strange parable, <laughs> perhaps, but it's going to say a couple things. First thing that I think this parable says is this. Back to uh, the first point is, drum roll please. There you go. You're a manager. Did I read the passage already? Yeah, I thought so. Okay. <laughs> you never know. You know, two services, right? You're a manager, not... I did read the passage? Oh, I didn't read it all the way through? Okay. Where did we go back to where we just were? I left off at verse 8? Wow, okay. Is this verse 8? Let's say it is. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so then when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, okay? Sorry about that. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, you are not a manager. Are you, you're a manager, I'm sorry, not an owner, okay? You're a manager, not an owner. Now, five times in this passage... Three times, even in the first couple verses, Jesus uses the word manager. He's trying to make a point. He's not anti-money. In fact, he'll say it's a valuable resource, but what he wants to say is this. If you want to use money well, you need to understand where it came from. It belongs to God. Your life, your, the fact that you're here, your, that God created you, your talents, your opportunities, everything you have, right, including your ability to produce wealth, Deuteronomy chapter 8, comes from God. And what Jesus is saying in this parable is this. This is money and what money can buy. Your wealth, my wealth, calls it worldly wealth in the passage. It's a trust from God for which you and I will be held accountable, right? As this passage starts, it says Jesus told his disciples, okay? He's talking to people who are followers of Jesus. Then he goes into this made-up story. That's what a parable is. Jesus is telling a story to make a point. There was a rich man. And I think if you pay attention, he's saying, that rich man is you. That rich man is me. That rich man disciples is you. And here's the question. Everything that you have 
including, yes, that your life, the fact that you have, that you're breathing, that you have an automobile and a home and a car, and your accumulated wealth, it doesn't belong to you. What is this that I hear about that you're wasting, circle, my possessions, right? That's what Jesus is saying. It's a, it's a reminder that everything you have is from God, and you and I are accountable to those things, or we will be accountable to those things. Now, most of you would know uh, that we live in a, this is the technical term, a consumerist culture. We live in a consumerist culture. What does that mean, a consumerist culture? It means that we live in a culture that, it, it, that, it's, it's that, that is shaped by a belief system. And the belief system, you might not think of it that way, because uh, we're sort of in it. We're fish swimming in the water. But it's a belief system that says uh, that the more stuff that you accumulate, the better you are. Light, meaning in life is, is, is somewhat... Uh, experienced, enhanced by having more. You might even say getting things. Acu- now, what you might decide is valuable to you and what I might decide is valuable to me might be different, but that getting things and accumulating wealth is the goal of life. This is a, this is a belief system. And you don't have to be, it doesn't take much to be convinced of it, right? You, before you go to bed tonight, without even trying, every one of us in this room will, be, will see and experience in various media advertisements right? I'm not knocking it. I'm not saying it's all bad, but you will receive advertisements from something as simple as a Coca-Cola to a durable good luck, an automobile to, you know, uh, some other kind of significant investment healthcare to sell you things that you do not need, right? And, that, and every day you got to make a decision whether it's going to be yes or no, how you're going to spend your money. One writer said this about a consumerist culture, because it's not always been that way. Sometimes we think it is, because it's the only one we know, right? But it's not always been this way. He said, a consumerist culture is a shift away from the values of community, spirituality, and integrity towards competition, materialism, and disconnection. And here's what I would say to you, and think about our own culture. It's not working, right? It's not working. We live not only in the richest nation in the world, I think that's without... Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, debate, but we live in the richest nation in the history of the world. But here's what's so interesting. Maybe you, this was popularized, sadly, by two high-profile suicides in the last week, uh, Kate Spade and, and Anthony Bourdain. We have the highest suicide rate in the world. Uh, the, cities for, uh, the Centers for Disease Control, just put this out. They didn't plan this in the last week. It was published three or four days ago, a study from 1999 to 2016. In those 17 years, suicide rate has increased in almost all 50 states. In over half of the states, or nearly half of the 50 states, it's increased by 30%. And the study said, if if you've seen it, or or summary of the study, said that more than half of it, probably 60%, is not attributed to people who have mental health issues. So sometimes we look like Kate Spade, if you've read some backstory, who struggled with, you know, uh, depression for many years. Often people who commit suicide have extreme issues in those kind of mental health issues. But in this study, more than half of the people in our country spiked middle-agers, it even said, in in this. So people you assume that have some money did not have any mental health issues. What's the takeaway? It's not working, guys. There's a narrative, right? At the heart of a consumerist culture, it's a belief system that says it's all about the more that you have, the happier you will be. Now, I've never made an awful lot of money relative to some other people. In some ways, I'm very rich. In other ways, I'm middle of the road. But let me tell you something. 
uh, people who have made an awful lot of money, including those two people, did not produce happiness in their life, right? And it's true in, 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 in amazing measures in our society. Here's what I think the Bible would tell you. It's not in what you get, right? That's what this passage is about. It's in learning, to learn art, to be thankful for what you've been given, right? This is the heart of the gospel, and it's the open secret. It's not in what you get and what you accumulate. It's being thankful, learning how to be thankful for what you have been given right now, today. Uh, it's, it's, it's an open secret to be a successful Christian if you have the eyes to see it. And really what Jesus is saying here, get past point one, right? You're a manager, not an owner. The secret is being grateful for what you have. Then he wants to say this, the central challenge for the Christian life is choosing what to do with what you've been given, right? That's the challenge. What are you going to do with the days you have left, with the resources you have left, the time, yes, the accumulated wealth? You are a manager, not an owner. My second point in this message, the only investment that lasts is people, right? The only investment that lasts not just with your money, but your money too, is people. Now, this parable, often people say it's a very difficult parable. If you, there's many parables of Jesus in the Gospels, and there's also many on money. And many people, when I read about this, they, they, they try to you know, be very creative and dance around. We, it's as if we need to clean up the teachings of Jesus, right? That's what people have said. Let me just tell you something about cleaning up the teachings of Jesus. He doesn't need your help, right? He doesn't need my help. And if this parable rubs you the wrong way, then maybe you need to be rubbed the wrong way. It's part of how Jesus does what he does. What is really, a, and, and why does Jesus, right, if, if you followed along, his, his example, that's what parables are. They're telling a made-up story and saying, now let me grab a principle out of this made-up story and apply it to you. You say, well, Jesus... I'm struggling to understand, you know, there's a dishonest guy who's been dishonest his, for much of his career. His, his, his boss or his master is calling him on the carpet. He's getting fired. And in this last day or week that he has to clean up the accounts, he does something that also seems dishonest. How could this possibly be uh, uh, something good here? What's the teaching? Well, first of all, it's a parable. Not everything in here is for us to find meaning. There's a point he's trying to make, right? First of all, why use this story the way you use it? It's a secular framework where he's not talking about, I knew two pastors and they met in a study. You know, That's not how he starts the parable. He's using a secular framework because if you read the whole chapter and the chapter before it, the people that are surrounding Jesus, not just his disciples, many of them are tax collectors. In the tax collector community, not sadly too different from our own in many ways, right, um, made their money off of um, you know, adding fees and services to whether it was taxes or whether it was loans for, for goods and services. You know, I'm the broker and, 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 I, and I'm going to give you a loan for $500 or 500 bushels of wheat, but I'm going to charge you twice that amount, right? And I'm going to take that and we call it line our pockets. That was very everyday business in this culture. And Jesus is using this because he wants to capture the imagination of the people that are in the room, Right? But what actually does this, um, what is he commending here? What does the manager do? He says, listen, I'm going to get fired. No question about it. I know that I'm going to get fired. There was no wiggle room in here. Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager anymore. Clean up your accounts and you're going home. So this is what I'm going to do. 
I got to make some friends, and I need to make them quickly. So what he does, okay, is he goes, he makes deals. He goes, he has another, maybe he has a week, maybe it's a two-week notice, and he goes out to all the clients that he works for. They're all his master's clients, all related to the, to the goods and services of the master, the, co- the corporate uh, head. And he says, listen, you owe my master X, Y, and Z. I'm going to make a deal with you. Now, what commentators say, right, and whether or not this is true or not, it doesn't take away from the power of the parable. It says this, how does this guy have the ability to say you owe you know, 800 barrels or 800 you know, measures of oil and you can go ahead and just pay me 450 How does he do that? And they said, listen, what they think is this. That was his commission, right? That's what tax collectors do. Today we call them Harvard business graduates, okay? But the point is <laughs> we find ways to overcharge and that's the way we make money. And so this guy says, listen, I got two options in my last two weeks. I can go collect on all these accounts and walk away with $5,000 or $10,000 or $100,000, and that's it. That's finite money. Or I can take that money, and I can decide to lessen what all these people owe me, and I'm walking away with nothing two weeks from today, but what I am, I'm going to ingratiate all these people. I'm making friends with these people because their friendship their um, goodwill when I'm going to be in the job market very soon is going to be worth more to me than money, right? That's what Jesus is saying, right? The only investment that lasts is people. And what Jesus is saying in this parable is this to his disciples, you should be that smart, right? Not that you should be dishonest. No, he's not commending dishonesty. What he's commending is the foresight of this made-up manager who's looking beyond simply putting some more dollars in his pocket, who's looking shrewdly. The master commended this dishonest manager because he'd act shrewdly. Right? We need to do our homework. Shrewdly doesn't mean negative and dark and, and he's, a, he's a criminal, he's corrupt. That's not what shrewd means. Shrewd means to exercise or to show good judgment. That's what it means to be shrewd. And Jesus is commending not his dishonesty but his foresight that this guy's looking to make a good deal about his future. But what's Jesus saying to his disciples? He's saying, listen, he's not saying use the money you have to make good friends who can help you get a job, who can invite you to be on, come on their boat, who can, you know, who can make, you know, enjoy, invite you to, to, into their country club. That's not what he's saying. He's saying use your money, invest your money to help see that people who don't know Jesus Christ today can meet him in the near future. That's what he's saying. Verse 9, I tell you. Use your worldly wealth. Now now the parable's over. He's giving straight advice. Use your worldly wealth. That could be cash. It could be accumulated wealth. Whatever it is. To gain friends for yourselves. Sort of parallel parallel to this man's made up, uh, the made up account of this man. So that when it's gone, right, you don't take your money with you. Not a de- whether, you are, whether you have seven figures in the bank, six figures in the bank, or two, none of it's going with you when you die. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I think that's Jesus' creative way of saying to his disciples, listen, the only thing, the only investment that will last in this life that's not going to end up in somebody else's pocket or on eBay or Craigslist or whatever the case may be, is people. Paul will say these words, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 9. Two chapters where he'll talk an awful lot about money. That when he says this service, I'm cutting into a middle of a sermon here, he's talking about their giving of money to the church at Corinth. 
This service that you perform, giving of money to your church, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, that's what I would say to you, children's ministry costs money, missions cost money, uh, electric bill costs money, youth ministry costs money, is not only supplying the, Lord's, uh, the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, now watch this, others, implication, that are not here today, right? That do not know Jesus as their Savior. Will, future tense, praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them with everyone else. That's what he's saying. You know, this is, relatively speaking, okay, relatively speaking, this is a big church. That is, I talk to people as the pastor every week. That some people, I, I, I had a nice conversation with a woman today who's been here nine years. And she said, you know, um, we had a nice long conversation because she's moving out of state. And she's, you know, it was almost like this is the first time we've ever talked to each other. Okay? And there's, that's true for a lot of you concerning other people in the room. Why am I mentioning that? I'm saying, listen, some of you are involved in part of the church, right? You know the youth ministry well. You know the kids' uh, student ministry well. You, maybe you're involved in missions. Maybe you're involved in the worship ministry. You, there's a part of the church you know, but there's a lot that you don't know. And there's others of you who come here, and we're, I'm grateful that you're here, and you don't have any involvement. Uh, you, you hardly know anything about what's going on in the life of the church. So let me just say to you very quickly, right, that because some of you are, are not involved, but you perhaps give. Your money is hard at work. There's life change taking place in this church right under your nose all the time. A couple very quick examples. Uh, six, eight weeks ago, it wasn't even less than that, our student ministry uh, uh, did this thing called the Double Dog Dare. Now, uh, 20% of you know what it is. The rest of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But our students put together, uh, led by our student ministries, put together this contest. It happened on Saturday night. 17 people opened their homes, moms and dads in this room. And they invited students from the local high schools, their friends, their non-church friends. They had a fun. It was a contest, and it was, it was a lot of fun. But they were invited, it was you know, an open invitation, to come back on Sunday to, uh, to where, the, where the prizes would be given out, and, and they would conclude this effort. Now, 100-plus people came to these 17 homes. 32 of those friends, not talking about church kids, 32 of them decided to come to the invitation on Sunday where they had some fun, they concluded the, um, the, 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 the event and gave out prizes, and then one of our leaders shared the gospel in a very clean and simple way, and 11 kids expressed in a very you know, simple way an interest in knowing more about the Christian faith, and one girl came forward and prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Savior. Okay? That's, what this, that's what your money is supporting. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Amen. I, I, uh, this past Tuesday night, I had the opportunity, I only do this once a year, maybe twice, taught at Celebrate Recovery. Now, some of you don't know Celebrate Recovery from, you know, Double Dog Dare. You've never heard of it. Five or 10% of you do. But it's a ministry that happens in this church every Tuesday night. You know, uh, whatever's ha could be Christmas Eve Tuesday night. It's happening every Tuesday night of the year, and it's a Christ-centered recovery program, right? Hurts habits, hang-ups. Yes, for drugs and alcohol, but it goes beyond that, far beyond that to many other issues. But it's Christ-centered. When I walked in, it was in this theater because of the construction. Listen, uh, after the first 20 minutes, they, didn't have it, they were pulling chairs in because they didn't have room for people in there. 
And, uh, but before I got up just to say a few words in the lesson, which I was privileged to give, they had an opportunity to, you know, kind of like hand out chips like they might do in a recovery program where people said, I've 30 days I've had a victory over this struggle in my life. 90 days I've had victory over this. Six months I've had victory giving credit to the gospel that's helped people find victory over sin in their life. That's going on. You didn't know it. Last Sunday, we gave communion, those of you who are here. And there's a guy in the life of this church that I've gotten to know over the last six months. And he, um, he's been on the fringes, and, uh, but, but he had a really uh, a very difficult season. And we started talking about six months ago. We just sat down and had a couple long talks, just open. And his, his faith background was very, very minimal. But we were talking about it, and I encouraged him and gave him some things to think about, prayed for him, talked to him. And since that time, let's say four to six months, I've seen him regularly in church. And last Sunday, it was all over. He came up to me over here in, in the hall. I was kind of looked for him, tears streaming down his face. And he said, listen, Pastor, I've got to tell you something. And I was walking into a meeting. I got to just have a minute. What is it? And he goes, I received communion for the very first time today. And I wasn't sure exactly what he meant. And I said, that's awesome. And then we met a couple days later this last weekend. We sat down. I said, what did you mean? He said, just in the moment when you talked about uh, Mary and Martha, when you talked about communion, I finally understood what the gospel was, and I opened my life, and I've received the gospel, and I just want, he goes, I want to thank you, he said to me, for opening your heart to me, because it's changed my life, those were his exact words, guys, your money is funding things like that all the time, that's what I'm talking about, and you might say, well, pastor, if I'm a Christian, and I have money, do, do I have to give it to the church, no, you don't, but I would say the church that you belong in, whose mission is to share and advance the gospel ought to be a place, the first place that you give. That is what I'm saying, okay? You're a manager, not an owner. The most important investment you can make is in people. And lastly, this parable, money is a test for the things of greater value from God, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Money is a test for the things of greater value from God. Verse 11, listen carefully. Remember, the parable's over. Now Jesus is making meaning of it, right? So, it's therefore, if you have been trustworthy, in, I'm sorry, if you have not been trustworthy, back to the parable of the, the manager uh, as an illustration, in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've been untrustworthy, watch this, with someone else's property, that's God's, who will give you some property of your own? What's he saying? He's saying, listen, your management of worldly, every old boring everyday wealth, your paycheck, your house, your health, right? Things that we take for granted. How you manage those things is a litmus test, an internship, a practice for greater things that God wants to give you. That's what he's saying. Not only has God given you everything, not only has God given me my health and giving me my wealth and giving me the opportunities. Listen, he's watching, right? He's watching because he wants to give you and me something more. And I don't mean he wants to give you a Rolls Royce and all this baloney you hear on late night television. That's not what I'm talking about. He wants to give you more important responsibilities. He wants to give you what he calls true riches, right? He wants to give you a greater responsibility, but the problem is, He's not going to do that if you've blown all the resources that you have. If you haven't demonstrated 
that you understand that you haven't demonstrated that you want no i don't care if you're a millionaire or or a very very modest income what you have is god's right we talk about 10 percent. listen it's not 10 percent is god's and 90 percent is yours if you if you know the scriptures it's all god's right it's all his and we choose out of worship and gratitude to give god back a portion of what he's given us that's what David said in that great prayer, First Chronicles. It's in this little study that I'm, I'm just giving you uh, to take home. But David, when, the, when they called together the building of the temple and the, and the people of God were so moved, they kept giving and giving of gold and silver and goods and services. And finally, Moses or David said, enough. We, we, can't, we have more than we need. And then David's heart is so broken. He says, God, this is what, what can we say? Because everything that we're giving to you you gave to us. None of it belongs to us, right? None of it belongs to us. And it's only an exercise, understanding that, right? Understanding that. This isn't a message to give every last nickel to the church. It's saying, understand that all you have is from God. You are a manager of his resources, not an owner. All of it belongs to him. And he's encouraging us to make investments, right? Make investments in things that will outlast you, and your car won't outlast you, your home won't outlast you, your, your, uh, your, your our 401k won't outlast you, right? You can't take any of it with you. The only thing that outlasts you, right? I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so then when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You know, if I died tomorrow, you know, my last thought, if I, you know, when they said, Rob, you got 60 seconds to live, I would think about that conversation I had this last Wednesday. And I'd say, Lord, thank you so much. If that's all I did with my entire life, and it's not, and it's not all that any of you have done, if that's all you used me for, to help one person, um, not in a manipulative, you know, some kind of way, just in a thoughtful, careful way, where you just used me to help someone else open their understanding of the gospel that's the greatest thing that's worth living for because that uh, is an eternal uh, difference that's what we're talking about now i want to close with an application and i'm out of time and in uh a, kind of a plan you might say for just to give you something to think about you've heard these perhaps before the plans of priority giving and let me say something too before i close this this little piece of paper it's sort of a bible study a guide to grace giving and and, and people say, why did you hand this out? Because really what this is is like a six-week study. But I thought, you know, if I did six weeks, I'd be the only one left, you know? So, but I, I want you to take responsibility and see these are not my ideas. But this is a careful, I think, uh, you could sit down with uh, your friends, your spouse, your small group, and look over some of these things. But just three things to think about. Number one, priority giving. Really, we've, we've talked about that. Every, your first gift should come to God. What a lot of people do, I did this for about the first 10 years of my uh, young faith, is I gave God what I had left over, right? And that illustrated what was really a priority. You have to make a decision, as that First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians passage said. Decide in your heart what you're going to give. Not when the earthquake relief fund happens. Not when the church is in a hole. You decide to do it because of a, by active obedience out of your um, gratitude for what God has done for you, right? It's about priority giving. Some of you have done this, some of you have not. It's not responding to a crisis. It's an act of discipleship. Second, percentage giving. Some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you have no idea what that is. I don't know what your background is. The whole Old Testament, 
is built, many of you know this, tithes and offerings, on the principles of giving a percent of your income. Why is that important? Why is that a good discipline? I'll tell you why. Interesting studies. Many have been done. Many of you have heard this a dozen times. But there's studies that have been done that basically say this. You know, uh, the average giving of, of the Christians in this country, okay, just in America, from soup to nuts, I mean from all kinds of Christians, I should say, all kinds of um, de denominations and stripes, is 2% of their income. Now, for what we call, I don't know, um, a Bible-believing, devoted um, evangelicals, I hate that word's got such bad uh, resonance with it, but you know what I'm saying. For those kinds of Christians, maybe that's many of us, the average is 6%, okay? But here's what they, it's based, based upon the average income. So let's say the average income in this community, uh, I believe in Penfield, Webster, this part of the east side, is roughly average between sixty dollars and $75,000 a year, average, okay? Um, but, and so they say people give 6%. But this study said, and this is many studies have said the same thing, that the higher you go up the scale from 70 to 100, all the way up to the study I read, went to $250,000. For the people who made $250,000, it was actually an inverse relationship. They went from 6%, it went back down closer to 2, right? So the reason we give in a percentage is, right, because of this. Part of the purpose of giving isn't just to send people, to pay it forward to help people meet Jesus. It's because money, why does Jesus talk about money so much? Money has a, a, a very negative effect. What money and money can buy has greater and greater hold on you and greater and greater hold on me. And if I never mentioned money, money is coming at you, what, how much you have and how you spend it 24-7. It's, it's the culture that we live in. And if you and I don't make a stand and take a priority and decide to make some decisions about how we use our money, your money's going to go, you're going to be spending an increased amount of it wasting it, right? That's Jesus' point. Percentage giving. Last, progressive giving. I'm just going to tell you, I had a guy who I talked to this week, and he, uh, I was, I uh, met him through another pastor friend who, I, know, I mean, who encouraged me to talk to him because he had just here from Browncroft, he just started giving. And he was I just wanted to ask him his story because he just started. I was interested. And he said, you know, I just became a Christian. Um, he's also a, just had a, a young uh, a child, a young, you know, young family. About uh, three to four years ago, he made a real commitment to Christ, first time in his life. And he said, um, I've just really, over these years, God has just, you know, uh, I, I, I've met and married my wife. You know, we have a child together very recently, and he has a great job. And he said, I've just been, been, just been looking at my life and seeing what God has done. And he said, I look at every area of my life, Pastor, and he said, I say, God has so blessed me. God has given me uh, opportunities and second chances in my life. And he said, I came to a decision that I wanted to give back to God. I said, that's great. And he said, but I know this about myself. Um, you know, I give when I feel like it. And he said, my wife and I decided we want to give, um, you know, not when we feel like it. And we, we want to get serious about giving, and, and we're going to do it and get on a regular basis. And, and they decided uh, uh, to give, on, give online, and that's how they decided to do it. Let me just tell you my own story quickly. I've been a Christian for 35 years, and I'm only doing this because I think it's important uh, to, to not to talk about myself, but to know that I practice what I preach. But I'm not the model for you guys. I'm not the model. But I, when I was, I've been a Christian for 35 years, probably for the first 10, 12 years of my life, I'm embarrassed to say, I was what you call a sporadic giver. 
I basically was, you know, there's a moment. There's a, I had a feeling. I was inspired. There was a need talked about. And I gave in a very uneven, sporadic way for years in my life. And then I finally came to a place where I think I understood more of what the Bible has to say. And I said, you know what? It's not about when I feel like it. Just like reading my Bible. I'm going to do it as an exercise of my discipleship. And I started, um, I, you know, when I had a you know, very modest income, uh, to, to give 10% because I saw that practice in the scriptures as a starting point. And for many years I did that, even though my income, you know, uh, went up over those years. But a handful of years ago, I decided, for me, I wanted to give more. And today, I looked at this before I, you know, this week, and I give about 16% of my income to this church and about another 5% to missions, right? You think, wow, you're so wonderful. No, that's not my point. But I would say this to you at the same point. It, it's 35 years in the works. But I would say this to you, right? I, and so strange to say this out loud because I'll be called on it. But in the next week, probably. Honestly and truly, although there's things I want that I, I'm talking about material things, right? There's material things I'd love to have that I don't have, but truthfully, truthfully, um, and I don't, you know, I, you, most, of you, most of you, if you go to the church, you know how much I make for a living, and, um, uh, and, and you know, uh, there really is, at this point in my life, nothing that I don't have that I want, Really? Now, you might say, well, but you, don't really, you wouldn't like a new this and more new tires on your car. And, well, of course, there's things I'd, I, that I would say, yeah, I'll take it and, and, I, and I'll probably buy things in the next year. But truthfully, there is nothing in my life, really, that I really need that I don't already have, right? And, uh, and, and what I hope I will do, we give more as our faith grows, is, I'll, is God will still give me good things. I may make more money in the future than I make today. Who knows? But I hope that money's never going to have that kind of hold on me. And I'm going to realize that the most important investment I can make, right, is in people. And whether that's here at this church, if you are a believer in this ministry, or through ministries outside this church, that's the only thing that's going to last. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want you uh, to think about it. I want to just give you a challenge, and I'm going to show this short video, and we're done. And I think this video just recaps what I'm saying. But here's my challenge to you, right? Some of you, this was a check-the-box sermon. You're already doing a great job. We couldn't do this without you. We could not do this without you. Your money and prayers are behind those three stories and dozens others like it. You're, 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 you're making a difference. For some others of you, here's my challenge. Some of you, you're not givers at all. You don't, you, it's just not in your... Uh, your your, your framework at all. I'd encourage you to go from not being a giver to being one, right? Think about it. Pray about it. Take some time to look at, uh, you know, what the Word of God has to say. Others of you, like me, uh, you know, 20 years ago or 15 or whatever the number was, uh, we, you, you are, um, uh, you're a giver, but you're kind of sporadic. I'd encourage you to pick a percent. You don't have to pick anything that someone else has done. Pick one, commit to it, for a season, right? And for others of you who have been at X or Y level for a season, maybe it's time to go further. So just watch this brief video and we'll be done. <laughs> 